I'd like to start off today with a brief exercise, and my apologies to Travis, Donald, Darren, Monica, Jessica, and Michelle. They're going to have another opportunity to do this. Uh, they did it last Sabbath, and in fact, heard the whole sermon. <clears throat> I would like to uh, start out with a brief exercise. If you'd like to take out a piece of paper or just turn to a clean piece of paper, sheet of paper, divide the page into two columns with a line down the middle. On the left column, right at the top, things I'm thankful for. Things I'm thankful for. Now, you can do this in your head if you like. You don't have to do it on paper, but if you'd like to do it on paper, things I'm thankful for. We'll take a few minutes to note down and list as many things as you can. On this last day of unleavened bread, that we are thankful for. Uh, what physical blessings have has God blessed you with in the last year? Or maybe not only the last year, but even before that. You know, we just took up an offering. Uh, we are to give as we have been blessed. And certainly God has blessed us with physical blessings. What, what financial blessings? Now, some have had financial trials, but has God blessed you financially uh, recently or in the last year? A job change, perhaps. What are you thankful for? How about health? You know, we all have aches and pains. We all have, uh, from time to time, health difficulties. But has God blessed you in certain ways? You know, even just the fact that we are here today, we are vertical. Uh, we are taking nourishment, as they say. Is that a blessing? Well, if you have had good health, write it down. Blessings of family, perhaps your family situation, a wife, a husband, children, grandchildren. Those can all be blessings. Perhaps some little things that uh, God has, has worked out in your life. Sometimes the tr most trivial things can actually get our attention and can be the most encouraging the way God works things out in small ways, even sometimes when we're going through trials. It can be surprising. Big things, our calling, God's Spirit, being called out of this world, miracles in our life. Going through the days of unleavened bread, we think about the miracles that, that God worked out for the children of Israel. What miracles has God worked out in your life that you can see that we're not circumstance, we're not... Uh, coincidence that you you know God's hand was involved. What are you thankful for? Take a few more minutes, moments, <clears throat> and as you look at this list, contemplate them and mull them over in your mind, and and think about just how how grateful we are for the things that we can be thankful for, all the things that God has done for us in our life. And I don't know, now you're saying, if he would just be quiet, I could concentrate writing down more things, right? Well, I don't know about you, but when I do this, from time to time, the more I write down, the more I go down this road, the more I find. The more things that you start thinking about, I'm thankful for that. Well, yeah, that's true, and look at this other thing I'm, I'm thankful for. The more other things come to mind. But it takes energy, doesn't it? It takes conscious thought. 
How many times do we well, think, well, sure, I'm thankful for what God has done for me in my life, but we don't, we don't break it down. We don't think specifically. It takes energy. It takes conscious thought. We have so much to be thankful for as we have kept these days of unleavened bread and as we keep the last day, as we're leaving these days of unleavened bread, which, of course, this whole day will be the last day, but, uh, you know, at sundown, then it'll be over and we will go back to our normal routine. And the, in the 2010 spring holy days will be over in just a memory. But as we are thinking about it, We have so much to be thankful for in the journey that Jesus Christ is leading us through. You can leave the other side blank for now. We're going to come back to that later. But I I just wanted to start off by focusing on the things that we are thankful for. Are we content about? You know, we as human beings can slip into discontentment so easily. It doesn't take much. When most of us have everything we need and most of what we want. We're going to talk about contentment this morning. Being contented as we make our way through this journey. I think it's appropriate as we keep the last day of unleavened bread to talk about it. Because really the children of Israel are a superb case study in not being contented. Wouldn't you say? When you look at all the things they went through and you look at all the things they had and yet all the things they grumbled about and all the things where they forgot about how many blessings they had. If you'd like a title for the sermon today, Contentment and the Exodus. That's my title. Contentment and the Exodus. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing about uh, the children of Israel. Something we often turn to. He said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them And that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 5, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Now they lusted after food. They lusted after immoral things. But wouldn't you say, in general, as as an overall way of life, One of the problems they fell into was just simply being discontented in general. Not being content with what they had, what God was giving them. Are you content? As we gather on April 5th, 2010, isn't it hard to believe still? 2010? Ten years have gone by since the turn of the, the century, the millennium. Are you content? Ask yourself that. <clears throat> I think all of us fall somewhere on that continuum. You know, total, absolute contentment on one side and total, absolute discontentment on the other side. Well, we're, we're usually not uh, at one extreme or the other, right? We're somewhere in the middle. But where are you right now? 
Where are you? The point is, we all, I think, can see that we can grow in contentment because it's critical to finishing our race. The last day is really figurative of finishing our race, the, the race that we are running to be in God's kingdom. How can we do that? Let's look at several things today, several things we can focus on to be more content. Number one, focus on the big picture. Focus on the big picture. This is a concept we talk about all the time. Um, you know, it can become a bit trite, can become a cliche, but it, it's still important. Why is it important to focus on the big picture? Well, because sometimes the grass really is greener on the other side. You know, we say don't, don't always look at the grass on the other side and think about how it's greener. Be, you know, sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. What do we do with that when that happens? Sometimes we do have trials. We do have troubles. And, you know, it's easy to poke fun at the Israelites because of all the strange things and idiotic things they did. But, you know, when you look at the story, when they were looking back at Egypt, we talk about how they never left Egypt, right? They always looked longingly back. You know, Egypt was not a bad place to live. Let's turn back to uh, Genesis chapter 13 and verse 9. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 9. Remember the story uh, in the book of Genesis we find a number of times when bad things happened, when hard times were upon them, when famine was on them, where did people go? They went to Egypt. Egypt actually had a lot of good things going for it. In fact, in the time in the story when Abram and, and Lot were dividing the land between themselves, we read in Genesis 13, 9, that Abraham said, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself, I pray you, from me. If you will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Have you ever noticed that? When I read that some time ago, I thought, wow, I hadn't really noticed that. That God compared Egypt with the Garden of Eden. Now, what's our mental image of the Garden of Eden? Well, a lush place with lots of things growing, right? Trees, plants verdant valleys and deer and elephants and giraffes walking around, you know, and, you know, well, maybe the animals weren't that way in Egypt, but it was a nice climate. It was a beautiful place, according to the, the Scripture here. Nice climate, lots of sunshine, reliable flood patterns, canals that would make everything grow, anything grow. I think in some ways it makes me think of... Uh, Northern California, when we were living there a number of years ago, the land is, is dry, rock-hard dry, but if you can get water to it, it'll grow anything. Extremely productive. I still miss my apricot tree and my nectarine tree and my peach tree and all those things that really started getting rolling just when we left. So. 
I'm not really contented about that now that I think about it. You know, that's really, no. I was really happy before I thought about that. No. The point is that it was a good land. There were things when they looked back and when they were comparing, there were things that were good about it. Genesis chapter 47 and verse 5, notice when the children of Israel were moving to Egypt, what does it say? Genesis 47 and verse 5, Pharaoh spoke unto Joseph, saying, Your father and your brethren are coming to you. The land of Egypt is before you. In the best of the land, make your father and brethren to dwell. So not only was Egypt a beautiful land, but the Israelites had the best. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if you know any men of activity among them, let them make rulers over my cattle. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7 says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Plenty of food, great environment, lots of sunshine. 75 degrees, you know, white puffy clouds gently blowing by, a nice breeze. It was a nice place to live. especially in comparison to where they were in the, in the wilderness. It's described as a great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, and where there was no water. You know, the point is, sometimes the grass is greener on the other side, and sometimes someone else, for example, may have something better than us. They may have money that we don't have, or they may have health that we don't have. Or they may have a good job that we don't have. Or they may have a wife or a husband that we don't have. And sometimes if we don't have those blessings, it can be painful for us thinking about it, right? Oh, why do they have that? Oh, it hurts me when I think about the fact that they have it and I don't. You know, it's good to acknowledge that. Sometimes someone else does have something we don't have. And be up front with it so that we can deal with it. Because, you know, in life at any point in time, someone's going to have something that we don't have. Isn't that true? I mean, how could we possibly go through life expecting we're never going to be faced with that situation? We have to get the whole picture, though. You know, when the children of Israel were backed up against the sea with the mountains on one side, with Pharaoh bearing down on them with the sea on the other, they had a problem, didn't they? They had a real problem. The grass really was greener at that moment back in Egypt. Pharaoh with his, what, 600 war chariots bearing down on them. At that moment in time, it looked pretty good to be in Egypt, and they were right Exodus chapter 14 and verse 6, notice. But they weren't right in forgetting the other parts of the picture. Exodus 14 and verse 6, and it says, And Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. 
Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Pretty horrifying thought, don't you think? After all that had happened. And they were sore afraid. An accurate assessment of their situation at that moment. Nothing wrong with that at that moment. And don't sometimes we have trials and problems. And sometimes it would be better to be in a different situation. We have to keep the big picture because notice it says, The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt. No, I'm not going to do Mr. Ames's, you know, impersonation of that. I'm sorry. We'll have to you'll have to wait till he does it sometime. Have you taken us away to die and eat in the wilderness? Why have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? Okay, they were exaggerating slightly. They didn't really say, Leave us alone, Moses. We like it here. Right? But isn't that what happens when we're in a trial? When we see that there is something better that someone else has or a different situa situation has, sometimes we can exaggerate it to the point that we, we lose clarity of mind. What did they need? They had a problem, but they needed to see the big picture. Moses had it. And he tried to instill it into them. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Isn't it amazing? You had two groups of people that were in the exact same situation because Moses had a problem too. The Pharaoh was going to be going after him, right? He had the same problem that all of the children of Israel had. His back was backed up against the sea. The mountains were on his side, and the Pharaoh's armies were bearing down on the other direction for Moses too. What was the difference? He had a relationship with God. He knew God was going to work it out. He knew there were other things that they could not see. So he said, don't be afraid. Now the interesting thing is that Moses didn't really know how they were going to get out of this problem, which shows his faith even so much more. He was able to have the big picture when he didn't exactly know all the details. Because notice, it says in verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Why do you cry unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward, and lift up your rod, and stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Doesn't that show the, the, the greatness of, of Moses in terms of his relationship with God? That he was able to have strength and courage and faith even when he didn't see exactly how God was going to work out. Because God finally had to tell him, Moses, you're, you're praying, that's good, uh, but stand up, turn around, and go that way. Brethren, as, as we have trials sometimes, 
Are we contented? Do we see the whole picture? Because that's the key. That's the key. One of the keys. It's good to acknowledge sometimes our situation isn't the best in one specific way. But it's not the whole picture. Notice in Psalm chapter 73 and verse 1, David wrestled with this issue. David wrestled with the issue, he said, of, you know, I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm serving you, Lord. And it seems like when I look around and others aren't doing it, it seems like they get all the breaks. And you know what? That really bugs me. Because the grass is greener over there. And I'm kind of irritated about it. Notice what David said. Chapter 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to them as have a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like like other men. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. You know, for the last seven days, seven days, we've been thinking about cleansing our hands, right? And purifying our hearts. And becoming like Jesus Christ, letting Him live His life in us. David came to the point where, because he was looking at the grass, which was greener on the other side, he, he, he wrestled with the fact, you know, it's not worth it. I have been doing this, and it's not worth it. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. I've, I've, in fact, I've had trials, much less than blessings. You've tried me. When I thought about this, verse 16, it was too painful for me. Have you ever sometimes come to the point where situations are they're too hard to think about? Really bugged him. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Until I got down on my knees and I reconnected with God and I reestablished my relationship with God and I saw Him clearly and I saw what He's doing clearly and I saw my life clearly. And all the things that are going right, even though this one area is, is not right. He says, surely you've set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction. How they are brought into desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, O Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. He's talking about the wicked who don't know God and who flaunt God. Thus, verse 21, my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. Verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my hand. You hold me by my right hand. You shall guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. You see a different perspective and and attitude. And it made all the difference in the world. He said, My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28, 
but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all his, all your works. Brethren, what is God doing for us? Can we focus on that? Do we focus on that? Instead of comparing, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. I'll just quote it quickly because it's uh, just, I just want to read one verse. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry. <clears throat> chapter 10 and verse 12. Paul says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul said it's, it's not wise. It doesn't make us happy. It makes us unhappy when we get into comparing. Because inevitably, we're going to find someone who has something that we ain't got. It's a dead-end road. Now, we... Maybe it's not enemies or, or the, the wicked that we're uh, comparing ourselves with. Sometimes it's our friends. Sometimes it's our associates. Um, you know, they're not evil people. But sometimes we may be tempted to want to switch with them. You know, I, I'd like to have what he's got or what she's got. Um, but, you know, think about it. If you switch with them, do you really want the whole package? Because everybody has problems. Everybody's got some good and some bad. You know, we could we could all uh, we could all take this wall between services today. By the way, we're having a potluck. I forgot to announce that. So we're having a potluck uh, meal um, during between services. And by the way, since I mentioned it, uh, we're trying to encourage the children to eat in this room because there's no carpet. So. If we can, as much as possible, leave room for the children and their families over there so they don't have to carry their food all the way over into this room. There's just more possibilities of that happening. But I'm off on a tangent. Um, okay, if we use this wall between services, let's say each one of us, so we take our name off, don't put our it's anonymous, each one of us lists our life, okay? All the things that are going in our life, the good things and the bad things, like a resume, okay? No name, but put it on a piece of paper and put it up on the wall. And all of us do that, and we could just go down the line and we could pick with anyone we want, you know? You could pick a set of blessings, but you've got to take the set of problems that go with that blessing, would you really want to do that? I think in the final analysis, we wouldn't, would we? Because it's the whole package. It's not just one or two or three or five things. And in some ways, we know our problems best. At least we know how to deal with them, right? We may be very strong in one area where someone else is very weak. And if we switch, would we really want the weakness they have? You see what I'm saying? We have to keep the big picture. Sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. <clears throat> Back in California, actually here as well, I, I've been blessed with neighbors, uh, with retired neighbors. And uh, 
really wonderful people, and I've really enjoyed getting to know them. There is one problem with living next to people that are retired, men who are retired. They have, they keep their lawns really nice. And, you know, it's hard to keep up with them. Uh, there was one time in California where we had just gotten back from traveling and, and uh, you know, the, the lawn was ready to harvest. It was about, uh, you know, 18 inches high, just about perfect for harvesting. And so uh, I was needing to get out there and cut the grass. Had a problem with our mower. It had uh, broken. And so, you know, th- that was a problem too. So my neighbor said, well, look, I've got this mower, and, and I'll be cutting my grass, and how about if I just hit out by the road by your mailbox, you know, so the mailman can get through easier, and uh, that sort of thing. I said, okay, that, no, no problem, thanks. So he was mowing there, and went back a few times, back and forth, and next thing I know, he was coming through our gate, and he was in my front yard, going back and forth and back and forth, and all I could do was go to the back and head my, hang my head in shame, you know, I can't even mow my own grass. It was horrible. His lawn always looked great. But you know, I wouldn't want to be him. He had other, other problems that I didn't have. The point is, are we grateful and thankful for what God has given us? When we look at the whole picture, the list that we talked about a few moments ago, Are we content as we are coming out of Egypt? When the grass is really greener on the other side, are are, are we not blowing that out of proportion? And are we remembering the big picture, all the things that God is doing for us? It's not a cliche. It's real. And it helps us to be content. That's critical. Number two, another thing that helps us to be content is to, number two, focus on the present. Focus on the present. Part of really being content is simply focusing on the here and now. Now, we don't want to exclusively focus on the here and now, but it is important in overcoming discontentment that we do appreciate what God is doing here and now. Can we be happy right now in the state we're in? And I don't mean North Carolina, although I hope we're happy in North Carolina. Uh, no, when we, when we have difficulties, you know, sometimes we can look longingly at the past. Sorry, we have some South Carolinians here as well, so my apologies to those who are, who are just across the border. Uh, you are in South Carolina, not North Carolina. Sometimes we look at the past and it gets rosier with age, right? Remember, sometimes we can do this in the church, with the church. Remember the good old days? The good old days when we had 8,000 people at the feast, or 10,000, we had all those activities and, and all of our friends and the good times, and there were a lot of good times, a lot of good memories. But doesn't hindsight seem to soften the hard times as well? You know, there were times when we got bugged by other people back then. I know it's a shock, but it's true. Uh, There were times when we had to go to our brother back then. There were times when we had problems and trials and health difficulties and financial problems back then, right? There were problems in the church back then. 
that happened from time to time. People got offended. People had to forgive each other. All the same things that, that happen now. And yet somehow the past gets rosier with age. Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. Because, you know, we can fall into the trap of, of longing for the past, and the grass looks pretty green in the past when we, when we look back. But we still have to go forward, don't we? Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1, we pick up the Israelites as they are traveling through uh, the, the wilderness, and it's amazing how, how in just a few days, like we were talking about before, their perspective of Egypt changed dramatically. Exodus 16, verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And then in the literal Bible, it puts it this way. Verse 3, And the sons of Israel said to them, We wish that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, sitting by the meat pots, eating bread to our satisfaction, because you have brought us out into this desert to kill all the assembly with hunger. Now they had only left, look at the timing, they had only left Egypt for one month. And they were already looking back at the good old days of Egypt. You know, how it was so much better back there. Now think about this for a moment. Which would have been better, dying in Egypt or dying in the wilderness? You're dead in both places, right? That's what they were saying. You know, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Why? What's the difference? But you see how sometimes when we look back, the, the, the past gets really rosy and, and changes and, and, and blurs our vision. We can do that. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10 says it's unwise to, to, to ask, why were the old days good? It's unwise. Why does it unwise? It makes us unhappy. It makes us discontented if we live in the past. If we're always thinking, wow, it, it, boy, that, that was the good time. Oh, yeah, that never be the same. Never have any good times like those times, right? Well, you know, that's a recipe for discontentment, isn't it? That we'll never be happy again, like we were at a certain point. Well, maybe it'll change. Maybe we have different trials we had back then, but... You know, God does want us discontented, and that's a, that's a sure way to do it. Notice in Numbers chapter 11 and verse, and verse 4. Numbers chapter 11 and verse, verse 4. We have to live in the present. And the mixed multitude, it said, was among them, fell lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Verse 5, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away, for there is nothing at all, nothing at all, nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. You know, nothing at all except this stuff which falls every morning miraculously from the sky.
Isn't it amazing? Now, the children of Israel, were they really that much different from us? When we get our eyes on the grass being greener on one little patch over there, and when we think about the past and it gets rosier with time, are we really that much different? When we can't see the miracles that are happening right in front of our eyes, and we can't see the things that God is doing and that He wants us to be grateful for, we're, we're really not any different than they are. And we even have God's Spirit to help us. And yet sometimes we do exactly the same things that they were doing. Verse 7, And the manna was as coriander sea, and the color thereof is the color of bdellium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it into mills and or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. You know, they were so focused on what they didn't have or couldn't have, they were missing out and forgot what they did have. What was it really like in Egypt? Sure, the weather was great. <laughs> the climate was great. Um, there was green grass. But there were a lot of bad things that were happening, weren't there? Which they were choosing to forget. Imagine a typical day in Egypt. You know, imagine whatever time that you get up in the morning. What time do you get up in the morning? You set your alarm. Do you hit the snooze button several times? You, know, you can be honest. That's okay. Um, you know, what, what time do we get up in the morning? Well, imagine yourself as a slave. What time would you get up in the morning as a slave? How would you get up in the morning as a slave? Could you hit the snooze button several times? What if you were running late that day? Would there be someone banging on your door? Possibly threatening your life if you weren't up at a certain time? I mean, really, what would it be like to be a slave every day? Now imagine a typical day in the wilderness. You know, no one banging on the door of your tent. No one threatening violence if you weren't up and you didn't do what they said, your friends and your family all around you, plenty of time to fellowship. Think about how much time families would have spent together in the wilderness. We don't know. Maybe in Egypt, families were, were, were split up sometimes. That's what happens when you're slaves. You know, they, they forgot this. What about children? How was it in Egypt for children? If you were a potential mother... We have some uh, potential mothers here. What would it have been like to be looking forward to having a baby in Egypt? Not knowing if you're going to have a little baby girl or a baby boy. There at the end, they were killing the baby boys. What would it have been like for a mother to go through waiting and agonizing for nine months? Not knowing, they didn't have ultrasound. Apparently, I don't know. But not knowing. And what if you did have a boy? Imagine the, the, the anguish and then the struggle you'd go through to hide the boy, the baby, and the, and the, and the pressure and, and the strain and the worry that you'd be found out. And what if you were found out? How would that feel? 
What about for midwives? You know, they were faithful to God, but, but imagine the stress and the pressure and the, the, the difficulty they went through when they got the midnight call, just hoping that it wouldn't be a boy. How was it for children in the wilderness? Sure, there were scorpions and snakes, but probably for all the boys, that was pretty exciting. You know, it was an adventure. They were camping. Kids loved to camp. They were in the wilderness. They could explore. As long as they didn't get too far from camp, you know, they could... had other kids to play with. Plenty of other friends. I mean, how many, two and a half million people? There's a lot of kids to get to know, right? It was pretty good. What about food? Well, this was what the Israelites brought up. How bad was it really? Uh, and how good was it in Egypt? Well, they had the leeks and the onions and the garlic and the melons and the fish, but how did they get that food? What are you paid as a slave? Minimum wage? I don't know. You know, were there laws about uh, minimum wage? <laughs> How do you get the food you eat? Do they have to kind of scratch and scrabble for it? Did they grow their own in a, in a patch? I don't know, but probably was kind of a stress having enough food to eat. But what was it in in the in the wilderness? How hard was it really? Sure, they didn't have the variety they would have liked, but think about how easy it was for them. You know, those of you who make breakfast every morning and lunch every day and dinner every... How easy would it be? How nice would it be to get up in the morning, go out, and this food just miraculously fell out of the sky. You collect it up and put it in a bucket and you bring it back and you prepare it and you do whatever you do with it. And then the next day you do the same thing and the next day you do the same thing. How about the security of knowing, as a mother, knowing that every day you'd have enough food to eat for your children? That takes a lot of stress off, doesn't it? The point is, they were, they were forgetting all these things. And sometimes longing after the past does that to us. They were together. They had families and friends. They were nourished with food and water. They were being healed from diseases. We read about that in Exodus 15. They had each other. They had protection. They had a future. They were learning exciting things. Brethren, what about us? Isn't it helpful when we get down to do a personal inventory of where am I right now? like we did to start off. Write down your whole situation. Where am I in my life? How has God blessed me? What are the areas of life where He's helping me right now with my health or finances or relationships or a job, maybe even through trials, through spiritual growth, but, you know, that I have God's Spirit, that I can live in this beautiful land that we've been given, that we have inherited, that's been dropped in our lap, the choicest land on earth that we can fellowship with friends and brethren. Wonderful people that are going the same direction we are. That we've been given a priceless calling. We need to have a reality check from time to time. A living in the present check that helps us to stay contented. No matter how great the past was, and it probably was not as great as we 
we think when we get caught up in that line of thinking, the only way to be happy, truly happy, is really focusing on and appreciating the present. So as we keep the last day of unleavened bread and as we think about the lasting changes in our life, let's make sure we have the big picture of God's involvement in our life and let's also focus on living in the present. Number three. Number three. Another thing we can do to to be contented, more contented, to grow in contentment is to focus on God's will and timing. Focus on God's will and timing. We can be discontented about the past, but we can also be not content about the future, but always wanting something that we don't yet have. You know, some people go through their whole life that way, never quite being content with the state they're in. You know, sometimes when we're, when we're children, when we're five, what do we want to be? We want to be six. And then we become six, and then what? We want to be seven. And then when we're seven, we think, wow, the ultimate would be eight. Then the, the good things really start happening at eight, right? Well, you're eight for a couple of weeks. It feels good for about two weeks. I, I remember. And then you think, you know, nine is really when the action starts happening, you know, the fun stuff. And then we, as children, we grow up, and then when we're in grade school, we want to be in middle school. When we're in middle school, we want to be in high school. When we're in high school, we want to be graduated. Once we're graduated, we want to be in college. When we're in college, we want to be out of college. When we don't have a job, we want a job. Once we have a job, well, we, we want to get married, right? When we're married, we want children. Once we have children, we want them to grow up. (laughs) And then we want grandchildren. And isn't it true, if we're not careful, we can go through our whole life never being contented about the situation we're in right now. Always thinking, you know, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. Don't we do that? I'll be happy when, whatever, a recipe for unhappiness our whole life. When actually God has all kinds of plans for us and goals and designs for us. He's mapped out something for us. He's called us individually. He's drafted us one by one. He's got a plan for us. He's got a route for us. If We'll just be patient and wait for His will and His timing. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. Notice what He told the Israelites. He told them His plans for them. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. All the commandments that I give you this day, you shall observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. Verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways to fear Him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and even a few apricot trees and nectarine trees. You know, A land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. Sounds pretty good. You shall not lack anything in it. Sounds pretty good. 
a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. Isn't, you know, Palestine was like that, but isn't the land we're living in today the, 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 the dual fulfillment of that? A land where we don't, we don't lack anything. Now, yes, times have gotten harder, and yes, we have trials, but think about it. All the things that we've been given in this land. Verse 15, Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought you forth out of the rock of Flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble you, that he might prove you to do you good at your latter end. Notice that. God said, I have a plan for you. I want to do good at your latter end. I've got a destination for you. I've got goals for you. But you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to wait sometimes and deny the self sometimes if you want to really enjoy the blessings. You're going to have to keep the big picture. You're going to have to not live in the past. And also not be anxious and, and, and always discontented because you want what's not yet yours. Now, at the beginning, we made a list of things of what we're thankful for. Now I'd like you to go back to that page, the second half the, on the right. Make another list next to it. Again, you don't have to write this down if you don't want to. You can do it in your head. But if you do write it down, <clears throat> turn to that page and on the right side at the top say, Things I'd like to have. Things I'd like to have. The other was things I'm, I have. Now things I'd like to have. Write down some things in your life that, that would genuinely make you happy. Now, we're not specifically talking about spiritual changes right now. We're more talking about your situation. Maybe, maybe uh, trying to buy or sell a home. Maybe changing jobs. Maybe... Uh, maybe something trivial. Maybe you're waiting. Maybe you've bid on something on eBay. You know, and it, wow! If I could just win that thing on eBay, wahoo! Pretty exciting. Maybe, maybe it's something trivial, but maybe something that you'd really like to have—a piece of furniture or something. Or maybe being delivered from a trial. Maybe a financial difficulty or a relationship trial or a health trial maybe you've been laid off or your hours have been cut maybe that would you'd like to, some relief from that maybe you'd like to finish school or go to college or get married and or find a mate well i guess that's the same thing um sorry just looking at my notes that doesn't make much sense to write those two next to each other does it maybe having children Maybe you'd like to have children. What is the desire of your heart? What are the things that would make you happy? Maybe for the smaller kids, a new doll or a new toy. Or a, a new bike or a bike that works. The chain doesn't always fall off, like some of our kids. <laughs> or a baseball glove or a video game. Or if you're a little older, a cell phone or a car. Or maybe wanting a new friend, perhaps. Or, or maybe working out a difficulty with a friend you already have. Anything that will make you happy. Write them all down. Think about it. 
It's nice to think about what might be, isn't it? It's nice to think about the things that could be. Some that are frivolous, some that we really need. Now we have two lists. One's of the things we have, and one's of the things we'd like to have. Now the problem is, most of the time what happens, you know, we were pretty happy with that other list before. All the things we're contented with. But now, wow. Yeah, well, when I start looking at this other list, wow, yeah, that's true. I'd really like that. That doesn't look so good after all. Normally what happens when we start thinking of things we'd like to have, we lose appreciation for what we have, right? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And yet God wants us to think about the things that would make us happy. We just have to do it in the right way. We just have to do it from the right perspective and to wait for His will and His timing. Philippians chapter 4 and verse verse 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or, or anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, the Israelites fell into whining and complaining, didn't they? What's the difference between whining and complaining and asking for things? Well, Paul says it right here. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, a prerequisite for getting more stuff is being thankful for what we have. Why would God give us more stuff if we're not thankful for what we already have? Verse 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, the, the, the contentment. You know, a lot of people really would like to have more peace in our country, in our world today, but are really strung out because of the financial difficulties, because of the problems we're, we're facing that seem to be intractable now. And yet God says we can have peace, the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it's not related to our condition. It's not related to our circumstance. How do we have that? Being contented by being thankful for what we have as we ask for what we need. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, are pure, are lovely, or of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen and me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. It's interesting. Where did Paul write this from? Where did he talk about being content, he said, in whatever state I'm at? And he didn't mean North Carolina. He was chained to a wall, right? What about us, brethren? 
How patient are we with our requests? As we request new things, are we grateful for the things that we already have? Children, if you're wanting a new toy, a new thing, are you thankful for and do you take care of the things you already have? Why would our parents give us more stuff if we're not grateful for what we already have? If you want a mate, are you grateful for the friends that God's given you already? Do you take care of them? Or do we take them for granted? Because a mate is just a very close friend. We're showing God how loyal and how loving and how kind we can be to a mate, how we show it to others. If we want a new car, are we appreciative of that clunker that still gets us from point A to point B, you know? We have to be careful that we're patient with God's will and His timing and that we don't get into rushing His will or pushing our will. Notice in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. There is a danger in not waiting for God's will and pushing our own. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. We read, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Again, they're not making any sense. Now they're saying, you know, we just want to die anywhere. Okay? Egypt, wilderness, anywhere. Just kill us. Discontentment, right, can can mess with your mind, can make you think illogically. Verse, verse 3, And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. Notice what God says, verse 22, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Verse 28, Say to them, As truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do it to you. You know, if we push our will long enough, God may just give it to us. And it may be the worst thing, at least humanly speaking, that we that could happen. Verse 29, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to the whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell therein, except Caleb and Joshua... But your little ones, which you said would be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land that you have despised. You know, brethren, are we content with God's will? Or sometimes when we're in the midst of a decision, you know, we might be praying, we might be studying, we might be meditating, we might even be fasting. And yet we know what we want. We've already made up our mind what we want. 
We just want God to just, you know, get out the rubber stamp and give us the stamp of approval. And we'll wait as long as we have to for Him to approve what we already want. That's, that's what he, they were saying here. And God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. It's not really what I want for you, but I'll give it to you. You know, when we were in college, I recall a, um, uh, a very nice elderly lady that we called Grandma Clayson. And uh, she would uh, sit and eat with the students uh, sometimes in the, in the meeting hall, eating hall, food hall, whatever. And... Um, Everyone enjoyed uh, spending time with her and getting to know her. And one time I was sitting eating dinner and talking with her, and, and I was pouring out my heart about my girl problems, you know, <clears throat> having girl problems. And, um, and she said something I'll never forget. She said, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Now, this was not the sympathy I wanted, you know, at the moment, but it... It, it really shocked me, and it, it stuck with me. Because I realized, you know, maybe I was asking for something that, that God really didn't want me to have. And I'm grateful to this day that God provided me someone at the right time, according to His will. A wonderful lady over there. Didn't uh, Garth Brooks write a song? some time ago, thank God for unanswered prayers? Are we content with God's will and His timing? It's very hard to do. Easy to say, but hard to do. But you know, if we're not, we're going to get into trouble. And we might even get more trouble than we could possibly imagine. Just like what they uh, wound up being in. Psalm 78 and verse 35 warns us to not tempt God. Psalm 78 and verse 35, notice. <clears throat> and we can tempt God by pushing our own will. David says, verse 35, And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered Him with their mouth. You know, if we're praying to God but we don't really want His answer. It's just flattery. What good does that do? We don't really want Him to uh, take charge of our life. And they lied unto Him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. But He, being full of compassion, you know, God is very full of compassion, even when we are not, doing exactly what's right. He, he's patient, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yes, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they are but flesh, and he knows that we are weak, we're human. A wind that passes away and comes on again. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yes, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Do we ever limit God? You know, if we're so caught up with what we want that we forget who's guiding us. We forget who is taking charge, at least He wants to, taking charge of our life and how much He loves us and wants the best for us and has all kinds of great plans for us if we'll just be patient and wait for His will and His timing. 
Verse 52, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely, so they feared not. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies, and he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yes, that yet they tempted him and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies. We can't do that. As we are growing in contentment, as we are striving to be more contented and more happy because contentment brings happiness, doesn't it? It's crucial to happiness. Let's also make sure we're settling more and more into God's will and in His timing. We all deal with it in different ways. In what ways can you grow more? in settling into God's will and timing, keeping the big picture, living in the present, and being convinced that God's will and timing is good for us. The last thing we need to do is, number four, focus on growth. Focus on growth. What was God really doing in the wilderness? Was His only priority to get them from point A to point B, to get them to the promised land from Egypt? You know, if it was... There was a whole lot more direct route that they could have taken that they didn't take. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1, we were there a little while ago, but we skipped over a part that we're going to read now. He led them the way He led them for a reason. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1, All the commandments that I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these forty years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep His commandments or no. And He humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna which you knew not, neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, if we are chafing at the situations that God allows us to be in, if we're struggling against what appears to be His will, you know, we can miss the overall lessons of growth and the development that He's wanting us to learn. It can go totally right over our head. And guess what? A test failed is a test retaken down the road. You know, like no child left behind, right? No Christian left behind. We're going to take that test over and over until we pass it. So we might as well learn the lesson now. We might as well dig in. And, and, and dig all the lessons out of whatever we're going through. What trials are, are you possibly going through right now? Are there lessons that, that we might be glossing over or not thinking about? Are there things that God has shown us in the, in the last week and in the last uh, number of weeks and months as we um, examined ourselves? It's not just God's priority to get us into His kingdom. You know, if, if that were the only priority, why not when we're baptized and we have hands laid on us, why not be chained right then and there? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, as soon as we're baptized and we have hands laid on us, 
poof, now we're made a spirit being. Wouldn't that be great? Well, it's not God's priority just to get us into His kingdom, right? It's His priority to teach us and prepare us for His kingdom. And so we have to learn lessons. We have to go through things. That's what these seven days of the feast have been pointing to. Not just getting from point A to point B, but to learn the lessons of life. Otherwise, it might just be the feast of unleavened bread. It might just be the day of unleavened bread. The one day. But it's seven days. It's picturing a complete product. You and I. God is making us. As we gather in end time Israel, they were ancient Israel. We are Israel today. In this country and, of course, spiritual Israel. Where are we? How are we doing on that continuum? You know, the world around us is lost in a, in a reckless pursuit of materialism, right? And never being contented. There was an article a few years ago that came out in The Economist entitled, Centrifugal Forces, Americans Are Still Restless in the Midst of Plenty. In the second century of the Christian era, Edward Gibbon began his decline and fall of the Roman Empire this way. The empire of Rome comprehended the fairest part of the earth and the most civilized portion of mankind. America could lay claim to the modern equivalent. At the start of the 21st century, the United States has created the most open and dynamic society in the world. Americans work harder than anyone, almost anyone else, 300 hours a year more than Europeans. They switch jobs more often, about once every seven years, compared with once every 11 years in Germany and Japan. Except in traffic, the country has developed a cult of speed. Fast food, fast banking, fast everything. The country's size and wealth combined with its meritocratic uh, traditions and technological prowess have made it unusually easy for Americans to move around in search of new opportunities. In the United States, wrote Alexis de Tocqueville, a man builds a house in which to spend his old age and he sells it before the roof is on. He plants a garden and lets it just as the trees are coming into bearing. He embraces a profession and gives it up. He settles a place and soon afterwards leaves to carry his changeable, belongings, changeable longings elsewhere. In some ways, this restlessness in the midst of plenty is America's most remarkable feature. America is not just mobile. It's a perpetual motion machine. And how much do we get caught up in it? We, we are of this society, aren't we? How much? As we are on the last day of these days of unleavened bread, brethren, are we doing it God's way? Are we settling into a contentment that passes whatever circumstance we're in? You know, it's interesting that the Israelites actually came out of Egypt with great wealth. It's not just about possessions. It's about the state we're in. It's about the condition we're in. It's about the trials that we sometimes have. Are we content? Are we growing in contentment? Let's turn over to, um, to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. You know, God had tremendous things waiting for the children of Israel. If they just would have been patient, if they just would have been focusing on the big picture, 
and not longing for the past, if they would have been okay with the present, and if they would have grown and appreciated the opportunities for growth that he was giving them. So they could be prepared to do what? To rule the world. He wanted them to be a model nation. He had it all planned out for them. They failed. But what is he doing today? He's called a people to see the big picture, to be content with the, the present, live in the present, to be content with his will and his timing, and to grow. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 1, David writes, and we're going to conclude with this. He says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. And isn't that hard to do sometimes? When truly the grass might be greener in other places, in one way. But if we keep the big picture, it's a very different picture. Trust in the Lord and do good, and so shall you dwell in the land, and truly you shall be fed. Don't we want that? We all want to be fed. We all want to prosper. We all want to live a bountiful life. God says, look, trust in me, and I'll take care of you. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust, oh, we just read that. Trust in the Lord, do good. So shall you dwell in the land, and truly you shall be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight in God and what He's doing and His will and His timing and accept it and don't chafe against it and don't fight it, don't struggle against it. And He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. You know all that list on the right? God is in the business of giving us the desires of our heart. We just have to wait for it in the right way, the right timing. Sometimes He gives us many times over what we want, and even things that we don't ask for. Verse 6, And you shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Await patiently for Him. Fret not yourself because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Don't be looking over our shoulder. We are called for so much. <clears throat> we have been given so much. Verse 8, Cease from anger, forsake wrath, Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. Here, as we come to the last day of the Days of Unleavened Bread, we see some amazing things. Let's be content as we look forward, as we go forward, because these days are going to end uh, at sundown tonight, as we think about the lessons that we have learned over the weeks Let's not fret about the green grass on the other side of the fence. Let's make sure we have the big picture. Let's embrace the present and live in the present and not in the past. Let's be patient in God's will and His timing and His growth because He has some awesome things for us. Brethren, let's be content.